KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon, hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. ICU capacity continues to fall in the Southern California region, while the number of COVID-19 cases continues to rise. San Diego County Public Health officials reported 15 deaths and about 2,100 new infections on Wednesday. But health officials are concerned about staffing to handle patients. While the county has 20 percent of its beds available, it can only staff 6 percent of them. County Public Health Officer Dr. Wilma Wooten says hospitals have to determine how to staff those beds. So that is the uh, issue and the kind of uh, chess game that has to be played uh, if we reach that point. And the hospitals have a plan for that. Demetrios Alexio leads the Hospital Association of San Diego and Imperial Counties. He says hospitals can add space with emergency tents, but to meet staffing needs, they may seek relief from a state law that mandates certain nurse to patient ratios. So there are some options as it relates to capacity. But again, I would still put it back on staffing that uh, we need to figure out and continue to work at having adequate staff, whether it's the state helping us, whether it's flexing nurse staffing ratios. But the California Nurses Association told KPBS that operating outside the ratios can affect patient care and nurse safety. A spokeswoman says she's worried that the state's hospitals aren't first exhausting other options, such as canceling elective surgeries. She also noted that some health care providers in the state have even laid off nurses during the pandemic. County health care officials say they've faced situations in some flu seasons when ICU capacity has been very low, but they say the challenge with coronavirus is the long-time recovery for infected healthcare workers. They say they cannot sustain long-term operations when ICU beds are 85 to 95 percent full. It's Thursday, December 10th. This is San Diego News Matters from KPBS News. I'm Annika Colbert. Stay with me for more of the local news you need to start your day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Governor Gavin Newsom has reversed course on last week's order to close playgrounds due to the statewide surge in COVID-19 cases. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says many parents are relieved. Parents and kids wasted no time in taking advantage of the reopened playground at Trolley Barn Park in University Heights when ICU capacity in Southern California fell below 15 percent last week. The state ordered playgrounds closed, but parents and lawmakers pushed back, and the governor relented on Wednesday. Nicholas Estrada was glad to get out of the house with his three-year-old daughter Amora. Yeah, I'm a single father, so I'm trying to do the best I can to keep her engaged as well as myself. It's definitely been difficult just trying to take it day by day and wake up and find new new things to explore to keep her engaged and myself. The state is still advising parents and children to social distance and wear masks even outside. Andrew Bowen, KPBS News. 
Not surprisingly, the San Diego Zoo and Safari Park are closed to visitors. It's the second time this year they've had to shut down, and that's because of the rapid spread of the COVID-19 virus. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has more. The visitor attractions are following state orders to shutter their operations to slow the spread of the coronavirus. The parks will continue to have essential workers on site to make sure that animals living there get the care they need. Zoo officials released a statement this week saying the urgent work of saving endangered species around the globe will continue unchanged in the face of the pandemic. The statement went on to say that zoo officials are thinking of their dedicated employees and volunteers who make the parks special places to visit. They say they look forward to the day when they can welcome guests to the facilities again. Eric Anderson, KPBS News. Stater Brothers Markets are once again giving employees hazard pay due to the surge in COVID-19 cases. KPBS reporter Jacob Ayer says a grocery workers union is trying to get other stores to follow suit. The United Food and Commercial Workers International Union, or UFCW, came to an agreement with Stater Brothers Markets to reinstate the company's $2 per hour hazard pay. President of UFCW Union, Local 135, Todd Walters, says Stater Brothers is among the minority of grocery stores to give bonus pay to their employees. Kroger, which is Ralph's Food for Less, um, they they are not doing it. They were the first company to pull out from doing it. Um, We've asked them continually to please reinstate the hazard pay. The UFCW is demanding that retailers and grocery companies also provide free personal protective equipment, paid sick leave, and COVID-19 tests to all employees, in addition to hazard pay. Jacob Ayer, KPBS News. A new report finds veterans are struggling to file claims for VA benefits during the pandemic. KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh says many vets are being improperly denied health benefits because they can't get in to see a doctor. Mark Session got a late start. He was 34 years old when he entered Navy boot camp. Like many vets, he has lingering issues from his time in the service, especially with his back. He's been wrestling with the VA benefits process since he retired in 2017. This year, during the pandemic, the real issue for the Chula Vista vet has been getting in to see a doctor. Um, I initially scheduled in uh, February, and then it was uh, rescheduled to September, and then September to um, October. And then October, they finally scheduled, uh, got a schedule for November. Even in a normal year, Session says the VA claims process is long and exhausting. That's very frustrating because I want this whole you know, situation to be over, you know, to finally not have to be worried about any more exams or having to, you know, contact my attorney and stuff like that. It's just, um, just want to be done with it and get it out of the way. And, Beginning in April, the VA shut down all in-person appointments. Everything moved online, including doctor's appointments. The backlog of exams ballooned to 1.5 million during the pandemic. A new report by the VA's Inspector General also says thousands of claims were improperly denied. This after VA leadership declared that no vet should have their claim denied because it wasn't safe to see a doctor. They didn't get get the memo because there's so much happening. Sessions attorney Casey Walker once worked for the VA. As he puts it, some VA employees just didn't get the memo. And then you got to keep in mind, at the same time, a lot of these 
a lot of these employees work from home for the first time ever. Many of them not being too capable with their technology from home. They've always worked at the regional office their entire lives. VA may require an in-person examination as part of the claim process. The VA made the backlog worse, Walker says, by telling outside mental health providers that they could not evaluate their patients remotely when it came to filling out VA benefit claims. At the same time, the VA was telling its own doctors and contractors to only see patients using telehealth. Then almost in the same month, they said you must do all mental health exams by telehealth means. And I thought, what gives here? The VA's website shows nearly all of the country is open for in-person exams to some degree to chip away at the backlog of 1.5 million exams. Maura Clancy handles veterans' benefits appeals for Chisholm, Chisholm & Kilpatrick, a national firm based in Rhode Island which has clients in San Diego. I have noticed more examination reports coming in. So I know that they are working on the exams that were pending throughout the pandemic. And so that's a start. Instead of scheduling new visits, she says the VA should also lean more heavily on using existing medical records, at least for now. The VA told their inspector general that they are looking at cases denied during the pandemic. That shouldn't count on their cases being reopened, Clancy says. Instead, that should assume they'll have to step up on their own and file an appeal. Um, it only helps the, the case, I think to be able to point to what VA's guidance was in the beginning of the pandemic, which was that th those denials weren't supposed to happen. Um, and hopefully that they will take some corrective action. The VA has been trying to clear away the backlog of benefits claims for years. A new law went into effect a year before the pandemic designed to speed up the process. According to advocates who helped guide veterans through the process, juggling the new system and the pandemic probably created more cracks in the system. That was KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh. And coming up on the podcast, a new book of historical photographs gives the behind-the-scenes look at the history of San Diego during the 1960s and 70s. It also explores how one man shaped the look of the city today. In the 70s, he made redevelopment number one priority, and out of that came Horton Plaza Shopping Center, the Convention Center, the trolley, downtown offices, office towers, and housing. We hear from retired San Diego Union-Tribune journalist Roger Sholey on how pictures from the archives of the San Diego History Center and the Union-Tribune shine a light on how San Diego came to be. That's next after this break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. If you go back 50 years in San Diego, things were really different. UC San Diego and the Salk Institute were still in their infancies. San Diego State was a college, not yet a university. The Padres didn't join the major leagues until 1969, when they had a brand new stadium a few miles east of the brand new sports arena. And if you wanted to go to LA in the early 60s, well, good luck. Interstate 5 was was yet to be completed. 
These milestones and much more are included in a new book called San Diego Memories, A Time of Change, the 1960s and 70s. KPBS Midday Edition co-host Mark Sauer spoke with its author, longtime San Diego journalist Roger Sholey. Here's that interview. Well, let's start with the 1960s. Hard for people our age to realize that is 60 years ago. But what about San Diego? What was it like at the start of that tumultuous decade? How big was the city? Who lived here? Well, it wasn't yet one of the top 10 cities in America. Uh, It was still growing. Growth was a big thing. So in those days, San Diego was trying to diversify its economy. And you mentioned UCSD and Salk Institute and San Diego State, all part of the drive to become a high-tech research and development center of America. Right. I want to ask you about that. The 60s were a great uh, time of change culturally and, of course, great tragedy on the national level with the riots and the assassinations, the Vietnam War. How did San Diego figure into all of that? Well, we were not uh, immune to uh, all kinds of uh, movements going on in those days. There was a protest demonstration in front of the uh, El Cortez Hotel because of uh, a uh, battle over fair housing laws in California. We had the same issues in San Diego over discrimination and uh, inclusion. Um, Women were beginning to become more and more uh, prominent in San Diego affairs, not only getting elected to office, but there were scientists, uh, researchers, women, standouts in every field of San Diego life. Now, what were some of the major accomplishments here in the 1960s? I did mention the, uh, the a couple of new stadiums and pro sports came to town. Well, let's see. You mentioned the universities. I think that's probably the most important thing in the 1960s and 70s. San Diego became a, a national uh, a major league sports city with the Chargers coming in 1961. And you mentioned the uh, Padres becoming a major league uh, team at the end of the decade. We also, going to the 70s, were trying to become a, a, a major league basketball team center, which didn't work very well. Right. Uh, but at one point, we had three <laughs> major league teams here in, in the period you're writing about. Yeah, so I was uh, surprised how uh, sports came and went. It was always a major uh, come on for big cities. You know, you can't be a major league city without the major league teams. Now, before we move to the 70s, tell us something about the 60s here that younger people or those of us who moved here from elsewhere might not know about San Diego in the 60s. Well, I think the Vietnam War uh, movement or anti-war movement was very strong in San Diego, particularly UCSD. I was a student at the campus the second half of the 60s, and I experienced that firsthand. All the pictures I have included in this book, I remember personally witnessing as a student at the time. Well, let's move on to the 1970s. Off the top of my head, it was the time of Mayor Pete Wilson, the moderate Republican establishment, fully in charge, right? Exactly. He was... uh, Actually, probably the most important and influential mayor in San Diego history for on a number of levels, he was the one who uh, introduced growth management uh, rules in San Diego, trying to make growth pay for itself. And he was uh, a leader we still remember as uh, returning around downtown. In the 70s, he made redevelopment number one priority, and out of that came Horton Plaza Shopping Center, the Convention Center, the trolley, downtown offices, office towers, and housing. So B. Wilson was very popular in, in his day. He was re- reelected three times. 
So a lot of those uh, accomplishments and the foundations for things that we saw later, as you mentioned, Horton Plaza and uh, some of the rest, uh, were, were done by Pete Wilson at that time. There was a big push back then and still is now, as you note, uh, for an uh, airport that never quite came to be a new airport here, right? <laughs> no, that was uh, in the previous book I did, which was on the 40s and 50s. Uh, goes back that the whole, far. The whole question of uh, Miramar, they had the approval and uh, they were going to take over Miramar Naval Air Station. And some people said, oh, that's too far away. We'll never need to go that far for an airport. So, and ever since then, as you know, we've been discussing what to do with Lindbergh. And this this decade, these two decades, it was culminated in the worst plane crash in American history at the time, the PSA crash in 1978. And we, a lot of people thought, gee, that if, if we don't move the airport because of that terrible crash, we, we'll never move it. And that's turned out to be the case. It sure has. Well, again, the same question about the 70s. Tell us something about the 70s in San Diego that many people might not know. As I mentioned, the the plane crash, the other two big events in 1978 were the, uh, it was the arson fire that destroyed the Gold Globe Theater and the electric building in Balboa Park. Uh, we had a terrible school shooting by Brenda Spencer in 1979. But then the, on, the, on the plus side, we had all the usual uh, rock stars. Most prominent in the 60s was the Beatles, but we had the Bee Gees in the 70s, you know, where Elvis Presley came here five times in the, in the 30 year period. San Diego was Richard Nixon's so-called lucky town, lucky city. He, Whenever he was running for office, San Diego voted in great uh, uh, celebration of Richard Nixon's political career. He had the Western White House just outside the Calif- county borders up the road. Uh, this period was when the San Onofre power plant was built. And here we are about to demolish that. And then one other thing in the 70s we shouldn't forget is that Comic-Con started in 1970 at the U.S. Grand Hotel. There were only 300 people that went to the first one. And now when there's not a pandemic, Comic-Con draws more than 100,000 people. Right. And uh, I didn't realize at all that it went back uh, way that far. Well, finally, tell us about this series of books on San Diego history. What's the overall concept? And I should note that you're a natural for this, having written about the city and region for more than 40 years with the Union Tribune and, and with the roots your family has here. Yeah, thank you. I, when I, the, day, the day, the week I was leaving the UT in 2018, after that many years, uh, Jeff Light, the editor, said, oh, I have a project for you. And so he told me about this company named Pediment that partners with newspapers around the country to do historical picture books. So they said, I said, sure, I'd be le- love to do that. And they, uh, they have a formula where they have a, a newspaper usually partner with a, history, a historical society, in this case, San Diego History Center. Most of the pictures are come from the Union Tribune's um, photographer work uh, that are housed at the History Center. Well, so many photos and so many stories. Uh, where can our listeners get these books? Well, they're available from the History Center. You can go to the Pediment Publishing Company. That was San Diego journalist Roger Sholey speaking with KPBS Midday Edition co-host Mark Sauer. That's it for the podcast today. Thanks for listening and have a great day.
Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.